Welcome to Entry Points, the Miller ICA podcast about art and ideas from Carnegie Mellon University. I am your host, Elizabeth Chodos. Welcome to the Miller ICA podcast. Today, our guest is Ingrid Schaffner, who is the curator of the 57th Carnegie International, which is up right now and will continue to be up through the end of March. Is it March? March 25th is March the 25th last day. Is the last mm-hmm. day. So we've still got quite a bit of show left to see mm-hmm. um, and lots of activities between now and then. Maybe we can start a little bit there and you can let us know what we still can see and participate in and enjoy from now until the close of the show. Well, as you know, uh, CMU is hosting our artist lectures. That's right. The School of Art is... School of Art. And um, I believe Sarah Crowner and Beverly Sims and Tavara Strawn will, and Jeremy Deller, will, amongst others, will be here to speak. And those are free and open to the public. And uh, what a terrific collaboration that is. Um, we have uh, our Cinematheque screening series... Um, so four programs sort of over the course of the exhibition. So the third program is coming up on the theme of children. On uh, January 26th, there's a matinee screening co-curated by um, Susie Silver and Hilary Harp. Very fantastic. And then an evening screening of a major work by the Chinese filmmaker Wan Bing. And um, these are free and open to the public. And it was a way to bring cinema and moving image into the sphere of the international. And I think that that sounds all very exciting, and I hope to be at literally all of those, if not Mm -hmm. most of them. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about how some of these extended programs, the film series, the TAM drawing. Oh, I didn't even touch on the TAM sessions. Yeah, the TAM sessions. All these additional programs Mm -hmm. that sort of add to the exhibition itself that have been going on for years, actually, now. Let me explain a TAM session, yeah. since um, people might not know what that is, and why would they? The TAM sessions are drawing sessions conducted by participants in the international. So, for instance, I did the first one, um, and I think it was in March of 2016. Drawing loosely defined, we've sketched, we've written letters, we've edited We've done cut-and-paste collage, uh, sort of various opening up ideas of what drawing is as much as about drawing us together as a community around the artists, the participants, the international. And they have this name, TAM, sort of like a jam session, so jamming on drawing, is a reference to the Carnegie Museum's historic free art classes for children that began in the late 1920s Mm. called the Tama Shanter Free Art Classes for Children. Mm. So they were held at the museum on Saturdays, and they have this funny name uh, in a sort of homage to Andrew Carnegie's Scottish heritage at Tama Shanter's a a floppy hat. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we picked up this historic thread and have used it to be the a programmatic thread for the Carnegie International to lead up to and through the exhibition itself, to draw community around the exhibition. Creative community. Yeah, and they happen at different scales with different publics. Um, They're really fun, and they're really not about a drawing class. It's really about creative engagement. 
And they've been happening all over the city at different art organizations and just sort of, Mm -hmm. yeah, and and sort of drawing out different kinds of sites where community kind of come together Mm -hmm. in different ways. Yeah, so for instance, coming up, uh, Sarah Crowner uh, will be leading a TAM session where we'll be making ceramic tiles at Braddock Tile. And you can learn about the TAM sessions about all our programs on the museum's website. And it's a sort of steady beat of programs that enlivens further enlivens the exhibition. So can you talk a little bit more about how these programs that are sort of creating the steady beat throughout the exhibition and throughout the the lead up to the show, Mm -hmm. during the show, how that sort of folds into your curatorial process and how you've been thinking about organizing the exhibition? For me, the International is a curatorial project that includes an exhibition. And so... The International began when I began with my team, associate curator Liz Park and uh, curatorial assistant Ashley McNeilis. When we began, so did the International. And um, so including the TAM sessions, the public programs, including a series of lectures I've been giving over the course of the exhibition to open up the process of travel and research and um, exploring the history of this incredible exhibition and thinking about it curatorially, conceptually, kind of more openly. And um, publication, of course, a very important tool for that, that we created a website as quickly as we could to be a publishing platform for the exhibition. So I think about how exhibitions are, they're ephemeral things. So there's the event of the exhibition and then the international itself. I was thinking about how the international is going to move beyond the parameters of the exhibition itself as much as possible through conversation, through publication, through the work of the curatorial. Right. Yeah. Right. I like that perspective on something, an endeavor like the international, that the exhibition is an event of it as Mm -hmm. opposed to being it. I think many times when people think of biennials or internationals or these kinds Mm -hmm. of efforts, they think of it as the exhibition as opposed to all of the research and connections and other kinds of activities and research that goes into building it and that the exhibition is just a type of event. It's an event, a celebration Mm -hmm. and an ephemeral part of the entire effort. In keeping with how we're thinking about and working in the curatorial field today, so to make the international representative of curatorial work as it's maybe making that more legible to a public what the curatorial is. We as curators, we publish, we make programs. We think of the exhibition as some part of something dynamic. So just make that more legible. Right. (laughs) And I think that for exhibitions like this that sort of take on as a mandate, drawing out what is this sort of live nerve or urgent conversation that needs to happen and right here, right now, and you sort of draw that out through the process of curating and exhibiting work, there's a new, sort of a new role or an emergent role for curators that's maybe come about in the last 20, is it maybe mm. 30 years, that's very different than what curators mm-hmm. used to do or mm-hmm. the history of curatorial work. Part of the publication is I write a short history of the international. The Carnegie International begins in 1896, the museum opens in 1895, and then 1896, first Carnegie International. So it's an exhibition with a long and storied and august history, and a, a history that's been told. But 
for me, it's important to think of like the international, not as this old thing, but this, you know, ever, <laughs> ever alive thing. And so um, I am interested in how this exhibition, this iteration is part of a contemporary history of the international, which for me begins in 1991, when the museum starts bringing in outside curators to do this signature exhibition. But that's also parallel to the rise of contemporary curatorial practice, because we think of prior to the 90s, museums typically didn't have a curator of contemporary art. They didn't have a department of contemporary art. Well, now you're not, you know, if you don't have a wing of contemporary art, you better start building one. So Mm -hmm. the institutionalization of the contemporary is part of the Mm -hmm. story of this Mm -hmm. international. So in terms of like the work of a contemporary curator and in the way you were viewing this particular assignment or endeavor. Mm-hmm. What were some of the key strategies that you were deploying to sort of make this exhibition and publications and all the surrounding programs feel contemporary, do the work of understanding contemporary? Mm. I'm someone I need structure. I build structure. <laughs> You're invited to do this exhibition. The director of the museum there's not a proposal process or so uh, this invitation to come and do this important exhibition. And then it feels like the world is your oyster or your onion, depending <laughs> on what you want to eat. So that's really daunting, particularly as we are in a world that just seems to be getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And one of my structures was to limit the travel and research in terms of five big trips and to help me decide where in the world to go to invite five colleagues to each go on one of these big trips. And in exchange for the Carnegie International uh, supporting our travel and research, they uh, contributed their research interests and in a way designated where we would go. So the only um, criteria was to go someplace new to both of us. It's both serendipitous then where I ended up traveling, Mm -hmm. but given that I felt it was important to get off of my own travel research beaten paths, which have not been particularly global. So it was a way to open it up and give it a structure. And then with these travels, the purpose was not to find artists to bring back to Pittsburgh to be a rather colonial enterprise, not contemporary at all, (laughs) but to use the process to make the kind of connections in our field that is the work of the contemporary. Mm-hmm. The work of the contemporary is to make connections. Mm-hmm. And they can be connections that go uh, forward, backward, sideways, askew, curly. But that's the work that we need to be doing right now. Yeah, I think it's interesting in terms of your curatorial process that the idea of creating structure or generating opportunity for connection making mm-hmm. seems to sort of be at the heart of it. And there is this idea of for some of these kinds of endeavors where a theme is, mm-hmm. is sort of an organizing principle, mm-hmm. but not that there aren't thematics in the exhibition, but the primary driver, it's from my perspective, for the organizing principle of the exhibition wasn't a sort of a heavy handed theme that was mapped on to all the work that mm-hmm. organizes it for the viewer, but the spirit almost of connectivity and drawing out connections, maybe unexpected ones, working through an idea of international in sort of a more expansive way that opens up opportunity as opposed to forecloses on Mm -hmm. the idea of additional interpretation because the theme is so 
heavily laid on top of Mm -hmm. the work. Does that make sense? I think that there's a way in which your show is an invitation for the viewer to make interpretation. Right. So in as much as the travel and research wasn't about an equation for making an exhibition, the exhibition that I made wants to bring viewers into a place where we can all make connections and associations um, through the work that is there. Your invitation to to viewers and mm-hmm. to the public to sort of draw out their own connections and make their own interpretation, engage in the creative work mm-hmm. of interpretation to sort of borrow one of your phrases mm-hmm. um, is evident in certain moves that you make that are maybe not the most typical moves that you mm-hmm. see in, in exhibitions like this. So for example, the role of the guidebook and how the guidebook plays into one's experience of the show. Could you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that idea and how that helped frame and, and make the show? So maybe just to go back to the idea of to yeah. theme or not to theme. Yeah. So um, I I say adamantly there's not a theme in as much as there wasn't um, in organizing the show. I didn't have an idea of a politics or of a an idea that I built the exhibition around. But there are conditions of the world today in the exhibition. And we are in a time of, I say, shifting terrain. And we feel it everywhere in our lives. And this is true of the world at large of the time of, we're in a time of climate change and late capitalism and colonialism. Like these are big forces shaping our world, Mm -hmm. but these conditions are throughout. And so because um, contemporary artists live in in and of the world we are today, they bring those conditions to the exhibition, but they're also conditions of art today. Like where, where is painting? Well, painting might actually be residing in a carpet. (laughs) If you look at the work of Elrika Muller, it's structured as a, a world that sort of flows through the space of the museum. That's how I constructed the show, was to invite artists to be in specific places, to create work, to create moves, to create gestures that carry us through the Carnegie Museum. Because um, when you do the show, to begin and end with, it's the Carnegie Museum the Carnegie Museums. It's an immense building with natural history and art and a library attached, um, no longer contiguous. And then it's a museum of museums, a museum of spaces. So it's kind of a world of culture and, a con- and constructions of culture. And I wanted to make an exhibition that allowed us to really be in this museum through the contemporary mm. and that the contemporary is a sort of live force Mm -hmm. that moves us through the museum. There's a lot of materiality, I would say, to Mm -hmm. the artist's work in the exhibition. And um, that was important for me that the the work be very present. And I'm going to use a word accessible. Accessible is by no means a sort of uh, something that's reductive. For me, accessible is if you have many points of accessibility, that's something ever more complex, right? Mm -hmm. There's more complexity. So no, there's not There's not a lot of didactics in the exhibition. There's labels that tell you what it is. But what there is is then this little guidebook, which is not so little. It's small in scale, but it's packed with information. And it's a place that you can be turning throughout your journey and through the exhibition to, if you want to read more about post-commodity and their work, or if you want to read more about Rachel Rose and her work, it's there for you. But it's like, you know, some people like to travel with a guide. Some people like to just uh, go it alone. So to be present to the art on view 
on somewhat building your own terms, building your own interpretive journey through the exhibition. These are things that I wanted to do. Yeah. I think that one of the exciting things for me about your curatorial approach and and that's sort of evidence in the guidebook and in um, in the way you're describing it now is I think you have a lot of faith and trust and belief in the audience in a way that I think that is unfortunately uh, <laughs> refreshing because it's it, I feel there's like a sort of paucity of that in the museum and uh, exhibition world. I think that there's a way in which audiences are sometimes viewed as if it's a body of people that do not have their own ability to interpret or experience or engage. And I think mm -hmm. you leave a lot of room for that in a way that is refreshing. I am a member of the audience. I am a museum visitor. I um, So maybe like when we begin to start with ourselves and think about the shows that have been meaningful to us and exhibitions that we want to be in. Well, I want to be in an exhibition with art. I don't want to be in an exhibition with some distraction from the art. So, and I trust that that's why visitors come to museums and why people, why we value museums, because we can have this singular experience that we can only have with works of art. I would, dare I say, mm -hmm. experience museum joy. <laughs> oh, please do. Yeah, that's a phrase that's come up a lot around your exhibition. Uh -huh. um, so I offer the ethos of museum joy. So it is my own joy and pleasure in uh, going to museums. I spend a lot of my time in museums, in exhibitions, and I get a lot of pleasure from it. So it's the pleasure of just being with art. It's the pleasure of being with other people. And it's the pleasure of interpretation, which is a creative act that we all have the capacity to engage with by drawing on what we know. And I think an exhibition that can make that more legible, more accessible to more of us, to more of us, is work to be done. Yeah. The way you're describing the, the Carnegie Museum and all of its various extensions into natural history and the contemporary and the ancient, um, in general, in these sort of encyclopedic museums mm -hmm. were launched as colonial endeavors. They right. were sort of launched mm -hmm. um, to tell a very specific kind of story. And right, history. to build the story of Western civilizations. So, yeah. 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 How do you see that evolving over mm -hmm. time and how do you see your exhibitions like the one you've you've just created uh intervening and interceding in that sort of dialogue and we talked a little bit about it um how your exhibition sort of this live pulse mm -hmm. throughout that's sort of drawing these things out of the about the museum sort of drawing them mm -hmm. out and putting them on display maybe for question and right inquiry. so so uh museums uh, um enterprise of creating spaces that tell the story of western civilization which is a white western ethnocentric story which um is not a contemporary story to me this makes museums not irrelevant but more relevant than ever how we use the objects, the interpretive frameworks, the strategies of museums to tell other stories. It's so uh, simple and it's, fortunately, this is a wide, widespread charge throughout the field. And one expression of that in the Carnegie International is the um, exhibition within the exhibition organized by Koya Koya. Koya runs a space in Dakar, Senegal called Raw Material Company. It's a curatorial space of exhibition, of teaching, of knowledge building. And I invited Koya to 
draw on the museum's own collections, plural, because it's, it's moving across the art museum's collections throughout time and space, but also objects from natural history collections as well, um, to make an exhibition that might show us different ways to consider the museum's holdings, the museum's capacities. Um, and so this exhibition that Coyo created is called Dig Where You Stand. And it's a charge to all of us to dig where we stand, which means to dig it, you know, let's um, understand it, let's uh, appreciate it, but also to dig and disrupt it mm-hmm. as well. So it's very much connected. And it's a sort of essay form of exhibition through objects, very associative mm-hmm. objects. So so there's this way in which, especially with, through artists Mm -hmm. engaging artists in this process museums can kind of take out the endeavor of reformulating and recontextualizing this troubled really difficult truth of their of their making which is right and so how we can be troubling and when i think of um when i think of museum joy it's not just about being like just happy (laughs) happy happy but um there's a pleasure in um being challenged and using and being critical and that's part of it too. I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about the sort of next iteration of things to come to be released, which is mm. um, we have the guidebook and now we are mm-hmm. getting a new publication that's coming out very soon, which is sort of the catalog for the exhibition, but it's also kind of more than that. I thought about myself as a uh, an exhibition goer to the, these international biennial exhibitions where often there's a a big book, a catalog, and because of the exigencies of such things, that they're produced in advance of the exhibition actually opening. So they're speculative publications right. about what the show <laughs> might be. And I knew I wanted to make a publication that could document what the exhibition is, where the guide brings us into the show, and it has no pictures in it, because for me the pictures are is the work on view that you are looking at as you're using your guide. The second publication, um, The Dispatch, is uh, a document, has incredible photographs of uh, documentation of the exhibition by Brian Connolly, my colleague at the museum. It's almost like a film. We move through the exhibition. It has a terrific checklist because it was made from the exhibition itself. It's a document of the show, but the commissioned essays are not about the art on view. That was sort of also the job of the guide. This is a thinking about the role of international and biennial forms of exhibitions, thinking about this form locally, nationally, and internationally. So it's three essays, sort of um, telescoping perspectives Mm -hmm. on this kind of exhibition where the international becomes a a case study. Mm -hmm. We are in a field where there are more biennials just proliferating every day around Mm -hmm. the world. And... um, um, I don't believe that that's a bad thing because um, different shows do different things. We have they have different jobs on the ground where they are to connect to, to connect us to proliferating a more complex contemporary art world. Yeah. When can audiences <laughs> uh, pick get, up the dispatch? And when and where can we pick up this dispatch? So um, dispatch um, has just gone to press, and so it will be delivered um, mid February, and we will. We will have a book launch in Queens, New York. One of the, and we will also have a, a launch at the museum here in Pittsburgh. But there's a conversation 
between the Carnegie International at Liz Park and the Queen's International, the curators there. So it's America's oldest international and America's youngest international. And the Queen's International is on now. It'll be closing the week end of our dispatch launch. But this kind of paradox of the Carnegie International uh, is... um, smaller number of artists participating and it's really it's also far less international than the queen's international which draws from the population of uh queen's new york so yeah that will be an exciting event and um i think that is our time and to end with the uh, then the idea to to go back to the beginning that the dispatch carries this international further out into the field Right. So, so it's not. It is not ending here. Uh, not or, ending here in Pittsburgh. No, uh, no. Yeah. We'll continue okay. to anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. We'll continue to evolve and have reverberations. Thank you, Elizabeth, yeah. for this chance to talk about the show. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ingrid, for joining us. More episodes of Entry Points can be found on the various section of our website at miller-ica.cmu.edu. See you next time.